0: Welcome to A Slice of Orange on North Orange County politics. We're still preparing for the June 7th ballot. Today I'm talking with Mark Gibbons, who's running against well-known candidate, Sean Nelson, for a seat 11 for the Orange County Superior Court judge. We talk philosophy with an old school book recommendation for John Stuart Mill on liberty. And learn why studying philosophy provides an excellent pre-law foundation. How law school prepares you to be a judge. Why we should all be Googling the names on our ballot. And an interesting discussion about how the robe amplifies bad behavior in those individuals not suited for the bench. And that professional demeanor is something we should all be considering in who we select for the job of judge. And one of my favorite pieces of advice trust yourself. Let's get started. So welcome to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma, and I'm continuing my series on judicial candidates for the June ballot. Today, I'm talking with Mark
1: Gibbons. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this.
0: Thank you very much. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Start with your personal story. How did you get into law?
1: Well, it's a funny story. Um, I grew up in La California. I uh, went to serve at high school in Anaheim. I... Uh, After high school, um, I was a hockey player. I always played uh, what we call high-end AAA hockey here in California, Tier 1 hockey. I traveled back east, go to Vancouver all the time to play hockey. And so I tried my hand at uh, playing juniors up in Ontario. Um, I had some teammates that wound up in the NHL, played against Chris Pronger, who was at Stratford, who was a duck, um, when they won the Stanley Cup. And I got hurt up there and things weren't working out as well as I thought they would be. So I returned home, went to junior college, and then went to the university of Lake Chicago. I was a walk on hockey player there and didn't play very much. Didn't play at all. I <laughs> said, I read a lot of pine, but I was able to learn the game. I had some great assistant coach who was a um, assistant coach for a long time at the university of Michigan. They passed him over when, They've got a new coach, and I think he's now a director with uh, the Calgary Flames. But I learned a lot about hockey, and I happen to have a very good philosophy department there. And so I specialize in political philosophy and philosophy, and I can go around the world and tell people who my professors were. There isn't a philosophy department that doesn't know who my professors are. So that was a good thing. My political Um,
0: science department is going to lose majors when they all hear that philosophy is a great preparation
1: for law school. But it is. It it, is. It is because one it teaches you a little bit about background number two it tells you how to dissect arguments peel back the onion um and Political philosophy, for some extent, did that, but it wasn't until I got into philosophy of language, philosophy of science, which I would recommend everybody do philosophy of science. Yeah. And the reason why, it's purely what philosophy does. What is it that we're arguing about? What is it that we're observing and really pulling back the layers of the onion to understand what is it is that we're talking about? I liked history. So I liked the history and the development of thoughts, which there's, I think the University of Pittsburgh has started that program. Well, yeah. years ago, the, um, the history of philosophy and the philosophy of science. So, because they understand history and philosophy based on Thomas Kuhn's book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, they really kind of built that program um, out of the University of Pittsburgh. So, I love that's what I love about philosophy. Um, and it, it's given me a, a bigger understanding of the world. I mean, and I love political philosophy because I like the, the intricacies of the, um, the origins of power. Oh, yeah. So, so what happened with me was that my father, I wanted to be um, a computer science guy. And my father would talk about this book called Machiavelli's The Prince. We know it
0: well.
1: I bet you do know it well. So, I was looking through an encyclopedia one day and I see this picture, right? And I know the one picture of Machiavelli where he has a sunken cheeks, right? Looks like kind of my skeleton. So, who's this Machiavelli guy? And I look and I read about it. I said, you know what? I'm going to go buy The Prince. So, I bought it. I said, Oh, this is interesting. And when I was at high school at Servite, I did have a teacher my senior year who talked about um, Plato's allegory of the cave, Book Seven of the Republic. And yeah. I had read portions of it, and I did not understand any of that stuff and what was going on with between Thesimus kiss and the other um, yeah. um, uh, speakers in the the dialogue. And so, but I got interested in that. And then I said, I'm going to take a philosophy class, and I started reading about Kant, Hume. And I looked back in my life at a very early age i had gone to catholic school i actually contemplated becoming a priest and i was thinking about why what why did i want think about becoming a priest i wanted to have a deeper understanding of why we're here and what we're doing and mm. i i think that was always in me and philosophy kind of drew that out like oh now i understand this is who i am absolutely pretty inquisitive and then as you get into philosophy and political science, you also get into philosophy of law, HLA Hart, Ronald Dworkin. One of my professors, his cousin was Ronald Dworkin. I had a chance to meet Ronald Dworkin. And,
0: wow.
1: Um, never met Hart. Um, met Nozick and Rawls. Um, Nozick's daughter I knew because she was at the University of Chicago Law School. Um, and I got to meet, because he went to go speak at the school, and we all went over to, and some of my sure. friends with Nozick. So we went over there and listened to him speak at the law school. Um, didn't talk about political philosophy, though. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like talking about anarchy at the time. Sure. Uh, but uh, he had some other book, an a interesting book at the time, Philosophical Explanations. That was interesting. And he talked a little bit about that and some invariances. Um, and then I said, well, what am I going to do with philosophy? My dad's a lawyer. I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach philosophy of law. I thought that was very interesting. Um, I, when I got out of college, I had, was accepted the NYU's philosophy program. I didn't go. I do regret that every single mm-hmm. day of my life. They did not have the PhD program that they had now. It was only a master's program. But Nagel, Dworkin, and they had a lot of who's who. Were all awesome. the who's who. And. Uh I didn't go. I regret it. And then went to the to the um the PhD program shortly thereafter, which I think is the number one in the country, I guess. And so the law school I said at the last moment I went to go law school and I went to McGeorge up in Sacramento. Um yeah. the name for that school is that Justice Kennedy taught there for 22 years before his appointment to United States Supreme Court. Right. Um and I did that. I liked you know, I was thinking about maybe getting some governmental affairs because it is sitting there in Sacramento. Right. And I got I came out of law school, I was hired by a Silicon Valley-based firm that had an office in Sacramento called Great Carryware and Friedenrich. It no longer exists because the market dropped in 2000. I think they had a merge with Piper, which then became DLA Piper, which is one of the largest law firms in the world. Um, that was interesting for a while because that was when the tech market, the tech sector was hot. You had the venture capital, you had um, angel investing, valuation sure. and stuff like that. So it was really exciting at that time. And you know, I remember Silicon Valley was short 7,000 lawyers. Um, but that job, as the market dropped, before the market dropped, we felt it. And sure. firms like Brobeck collapsed. I mean, firms that have been around for 100 years. were dying, gone. And so my father goes, you know, you d- I did intern at the Orange County D.A.'s office between my second and third year of law school. And he goes, I need some help on a major murder case I'm doing. Do you want to come back and help me? And I stayed. And so the firm became, I worked for, for my father's law officer, Joseph Gibbons. And then my sister graduated from McGeorge two years later, and she worked with us, and we called it Gibbons, Gibbons, and Gibbons. Okay. My, my sister's no longer with the firm because she's now a Los Angeles County Superior Court judge, sits in Downey. She's the site judge there, the, the boss. And so now it's still Gibbons and Gibbons. And here I am. I do. we, I solely practice criminal defense. Um, I've helped out uh, in some civil cases and some family law cases when they relate to domestic violence or um, maybe some fraud. hmm uh-huh. If I represent people from DUI all the way to MER. I have not done death penalty case, but uh-huh. I've only done um, anything that's not. So, out.
0: a lot of my political science students uh, want to go to law school. Any advice you might have, besides take philosophy courses?
1: You know, when you want to go to law school, you be make sure that's something you want to do. When I came out of law school, it was a great day. I started at a firm and we started at 95. One of the Silicon Valley firms went crazy, jumped everybody went to 125 with a guaranteed... um, This is with salaries? Yeah, $30,000 bonus on top of it. You're looking at 155. It just went crazy. And the reason why it went crazy was these Silicon Valley companies, these startups, would bring lawyers on as counsel and pay them in stock. And so if those stocks uh, are warrants or um, stock, they're be millionaires when they went public and so Gunderson Detmer went crazy and did this Robeck falls up and said no we're going to bump up 10 more yeah so, had so a bidding war so civil litigants lit, uh, litigators are like I'm not doing civil I'm going to go do we're gonna... I had a friend who worked in Chicago just what's going on you guys are making this is as... yeah obviously it was unsustainable it wasn't going to be able to just a bubble a bubble but also law school prices weren't as expensive as they are now today. Right. So now those firms that were taking in 40, 80 summer associates that would then become uh, firm associates when they got out of law school, those things aren't there anymore. So I know a lot of firms advertise these big, big salaries. And the one thing to be worried about is one, are you gonna get one of those firm jobs? The second part is, are you going to stay there? I don't yeah. have any friends that made partner. They couldn't take it anymore. They had to get out of it because you belong to those firms. They, like, right. They the hours are insane. Um, I had a friend who was a, who wanted to be in DA. She worked at a large firm. Um, she was having dinner at that time with her boyfriend. Now he's now her husband. And she had the old pagers that we used to have. And so that was sitting at the dinner table. The pager went off on a Saturday night. Her heart stopped. Oh, He said, wait a minute. Why am I enjoying my time with my boyfriend i have to worry about work and responding back to a partner i'm gonna get yelled at she said yeah it just wasn't worth it so that's one of the things you have to take a look at when you see these big salaries are you going to last in that environment are you going to be a partner do you want to be a partner yeah you want to have a family do you want to have some kind of love and so those are the things you need to take a look at and then the price tag because you're not going one of those big firms and you have a price tag that is law school. Are you going to make the money that makes this worthwhile, that loan worthwhile when you want to buy a house? Right. Those things, that's a huge albatross around one's neck. And public sector isn't paying that kind of money to take that, right. to, um, to mitigate that. You know, There are some loan forgiveness programs and stuff like that, but there are those private loans that are out there that you're going to have to take to supplement the yeah. basic loan. So that's the thing I always tell kids. And I have these um, debates with judges. I said, how do I tell a young kid to take on this kind of job for, I mean, take on that kind of money debt for right. this type of job. Cause you know, a lot of people don't like being like, they get in there like, uh, this is not what I thought it would be. Correct. So now you got this huge loan. Now you got what I don't, you don't like. And you know, yeah. you know, there's a big substance abuse amongst lawyers. I think a large part of it has to do with that, yeah. that realize, realization. I don't like what I'm doing, but geez, I, put so much of my life and my money into it. Oh, so much more. That's what you would have to be careful of.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's good yep. cautionary questions to ask, uh, to really start talking to lawyers and 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 start asking those questions and and ask them of the law schools too, of of what's your employment rate and what's the career center and counseling to get employment and 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 what are those alumni doing. Right. I think that's great advice.
1: and then Stanford got caught lying. And so all those people they're saying the average salary was what the minimum salary was at these big firms, but not right. everybody was gonna and nowadays they're not because I know I see the NL forms and they don't have that kind of associates coming in there. So mm-hmm. you got the Harvards, the Stanfords, the Columbias of the world going in there. Yeah. And where's like, where's McGeorge kids going? Where are you know even Davis, UCLA? Sure. So yeah. you gotta be in the top, you got you also have to be at the, in the top of your class. I mean, me, I was in the top 25, but... Um, yeah, the competition it, is, now is real. Yeah. It's, it's very... Because you don't have to have that many associates anymore. You didn't have to have that many people in the law library. Everything's computerized now. Right. It's become much more efficient. Um, doc reviews, right? In a, in a civil case, there might be warehouses of doc review. Well, what a lot of companies have done is said, we'll hire doc review people, lawyers, to go in there and do it at a much less rate Right. And they would pay the firm associate, the firm partner yeah. to take a look at. It's so, almost like a gig economy for lawyers. It is. And so for yeah. that they've been doing that for, geez, 15, 20 years now that they've been doing that yeah. kind of doc review. So so you have to understand the marketplace that you're getting to because this is a a marketplace. This is a, a business. Sure. sure. Being a lawyer and going in the courtroom like a DA or a public defender, it is a business. And you have yeah, to do that is a business
0: so let's get back to your professional trajectory what what leads you now to run for judge
1: oh well i've always wanted to be a judge when i started the when i was a junior in high school i have a very good friend who was two years underneath two years younger than i his father became a judge in los angeles county um and And his
0: sister's a judge so you have some experience
1: and so he talked about it and i thought to myself even when i was in um college I would tell people I, I, I'm thinking about. I want to become a judge. I want to serve. I wanted to serve, and that and there was something about that, and also being. We're in law school. You really are training to become a judge because what you're doing is you're reading case law, right? And you're asking, did this person make the right decision? Right. That's that's judicial. Right. You're that's reading opinions. Law. You're
0: reading dissents. You're right. yeah, absolutely. So
1: you're thinking, well, this is what I did. You're not thinking about how I would build the argument, which is what us lawyers do. But what you're looking at is did they make the right law, um, call, right? That's what that's what we do.
0: That's interesting. I've never heard it put that way. And it's absolutely true, you know, all the way back to, you
1: know, my love of the paper chase series. (laughs) Uh, My dad would watch that. He would talk to me about it. So, um, I did, I thought here's an opportunity to come up and do it this time. It's hard to beat a DA. Um, I've never applied for, um, judicial, um, uh, uh, through the application process with the governor, because there's two ways of becoming a judge. Right. For students, you know, you either can be elected, like I'm trying to, or yeah. if a judge retires before their term is up, then the governor sits and appoints for the remainder of that term. And then that judgeship is theoretically um, up for election. But if no one challenges a sitting judge, then you don't see it on the ballot.
0: Right. Right. And that's what we're seeing. You know, the 36 incumbents were you know, reelected without appearing on the ballot. And we've got these competitive races because judges, eight of them chose to retire and, and, and dear, dearly departed Frank Espino, who was our former public defender, died. And, and so his seat is
1: up as well. Yeah, now, interesting. My, eight, what? interesting, eight all of a sudden Orange County just decide to retire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's it's, only six open seats in Los Angeles County, which is a lot larger. Here yeah. we have eight
0: yeah, there, there's some questions being asked. And then and, and the good thing about the large number is, I think it's getting more attention than we've seen in past years. And so, uh, for what I'm dubbing my lowest of the low information election no. series of trying to get people to pay attention, um, at least the large number of seats is getting some attention. And and your seat should be getting a lot more attention. Uh, you know, um, you are in a two person race, uh, uh, so one of you will be elected. In June, there's no possibility of a runoff when there's only two. Um, and, and Orange County is very familiar with your opponent, Sean Nelson, who served on the Orange County Board of Supervisors and has been raising money for this race for six years. He started raising money. Uh, you can Google campaign violations for the Orange County Board of Supervisors if you'd like. Uh, uh, but he's been raising money for a very long time. He's very well funded. Yes. Um, and and But he's also got some baggage from mm-hmm. elected office. Um, so... How do you approach your campaign? Do, do, you know, it's up to you how much you want to talk about your opponent. Judicial elections tend to be fairly positive, but um, this is a politician. Uh, you, you know, usually we don't have politicians who are running for these seats. And this is uh, somebody who's been around Orange County politics from the city council of Fullerton to the Orange County Board of Supervisors. And there's no, uh, no absence of Googleable uh, material on him, but that's rare in judicial elections.
1: That's true. Um, I will note it. I will note that back in 2014, a politician tried to run in Los Angeles uh, by the name of Charles Calderon. He was tied with um, Ian Calderon. And, the and whole he,
0: Calderon family. He got another Google, a, another right. Google search for those of you.
1: Unfortunately for him, his brother had gotten indicted right before um, the election, but um, he got slaughtered and it was like 70, 30 to a woman named yeah. Rose from the district attorney's office in Los Angeles. So um, name recognition cuts both ways, right? And you're, as you mentioned about Googling this and Googling that, I, I don't need to discuss really him per se that outside the fact that, yeah, he's a politician. He's the chief assistant district attorney. Of, um, and so
0: not a practicing attorney. He gets a ballot designation that seems, I, I, I would say, deceptive. That, that it seems like he is a dis- deputy district attorney, a prosecutor, and that is not that position.
1: No, and that's why his ballot designation is chief assistant district attorney. Um, I will let you know this, that I have a copy of his ballot um, designation that he filed with the, um, the registrar's office. His first ballot designation was chief mm-hmm. district attorney. His oh. second choice was deputy district attorney. I did challenge that. And yeah. the county registrar came back and they agreed with me that that was not his position. And so he is now the chief assistant district attorney, which everybody else will be running as deputy district attorneys. He'll yeah. be the only one that's not be designated as such because yeah. that's his title. And that's the law behind this. And I know I understand the law because I understand the per, I know the person who wrote or helped um, write the law. A guy named Roger Grace from Los Angeles and this was through his wife, Joanne Grace. They were upset with what was going on in Los Angeles. So what had happened was we would, you would have provocative titles for district attorneys. So in Los Angeles County, I mean, Orange County, you would never see someone um, other than deputy district attorney or supervising deputy district attorney, something like that. Not in Los Angeles, they would run as child molester prosecutor gang homicide prosecutor violent crime prosecutor sexual assault prosecutor domestic violence prosecutor right and those provocative titles i mean child molester where can i punch that on the balance you see that right that's why charles calderon got annihilated she was a child molester prosecutor yeah well in 2014 a sitting judge was taken out by da and that started drawing some ire of people like, wait a minute, she got to run as a violent, um, violent crimes prosecutor, very provocative. Because normally what? judges win running backward. We did have another judge that lost a number of years before, but that was based mostly on um, bigot- bigotry because she had a mm-hmm. used name as Desentra Genevès And so a very, um, that's a, a political consultant found a woman with uh, well, this woman, she had a very um, Anglo-Saxon, wa- uh, waspish kind of name, Lane sure. Olson, and she ran against a judge named Dysintra and she beat her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so anybody that had unique sounding names were all, all trying to change or try to waspish their name. Yeah, right. So that happened. So that was the only time you'd see a judge taken out was because of that kind of a, a unique name
0: mm-hmm.
1: and voters being voters. Took her out because of her name. She was a very, yeah. good judge, by the way,
0: and 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 voters just don't. It's so hard to get information about judges. I mean, it really and truly, it is difficult for even the most dedicated, committed voter trying to do research to get any information besides the name, the ballot designation, and a paid statement that right. you know is often put together by a political consultant, right. And, and it's all positive which is great you know I always bemoan the fact that there's negative campaigning and the district attorney you know we're going to be seeing mudslinging and and a, a loss of faith in, in the district attorney's office because of those campaigns. however the positive campaigns of judicial elections leaves us with almost no information
1: right but, so, so, but going back to so afterwards they try they changed the law where you could yeah. not use those provocative laws. you can only use your title. So for him, uh-huh. his title is chief of staff Yeah. The attorney. So I, I I can't call it disingenuous because that is his title. And that's what that law said. You're sure. not going to go out and do this child molester prosecutor nonsense that they were doing in L.A. Sure. That is, yeah. It was mostly to cur- curtail what was going in L.A. Sure. And so he was forced to use that. I don't think he wanted to use that, that designation. Not if it's maybe. the third attempt at a ballot designation. Yeah. And that one was yeah. not listed. Um, so yeah, that was his ballot designation. I have to use attorney of law, attorney at right. law. I, I have so, no choice. So,
0: and, and that's kind of interesting. And and I haven't had any candidates really talk about the 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 flip side of that, is that you're not the challengers that aren't and, and I say challengers as if deputy district attorneys have such an advantage, but as it's a ballot not. designation, they do have an advantage. And yet every other attorney isn't allowed to specify. And one of one of my big issues is that our criminal justice system is not the only part of our judicial system. And right. so, why can't we see the ballot designation of family law? Why can't we see, you know, uh, the, the, the 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 different contract lawyers? You know, somebody's got to be presiding over those contract cases with really complicated. And, and I don't know if any of you paid attention in contract law all those years ago, but, but at least if I had a ballot designation that gave me some sort of breadth of professional experience, it would give me information. And yet you're limited. So talk a little bit about what are the options for people who don't have a title that is public defender or deputy district attorney or law professor you're left just with attorney at law.
1: Yes. Yeah. Attorney at law counsel at law. That was one of the, um, concessions that was made when they changed that law up in LA and I talked to Roger Grace about it the thing that drew everybody's ire was that a district attorney who was doing asset forfeiture held on to one domestic violence case sure so, so that they could use that use domestic violence prosecutor right and win that was the straw that broke the camel's back amongst of course. the course the problem is if you me I don't really have a title like Deputy district attorney or chief of staff. So sure. what they wanted to do was saying, "Look, if they can't be provocative in their um, uh, their ballot the
0: playing field. I,
1: what's, uh, I can't call myself criminal trial attorney. I yeah. have to call myself attorney law, and it's in the statute. So if that's yeah. the law, I have to abide by the law. And I mean, as sure. a candidate, to not abide by the law or play to play games, I think that disqualifies you from the bench, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. sure. I'm asking you and everybody else in society. To fall along and then come before me. And I was trying to script yeah. the wall and play games. I find that very problematic.
0: Sure. So tell us about what kind of judge, you know, that, that that's the most difficult thing of the campaign is that they're nonpartisan. They're they're asked, we're asking you to be objective. Um, and and yet it's hard to know what what should voters be looking for? What do what do we need to know about you as a candidate to
1: make a decision? Number one has to be experience. It has to be experienced right there's a reason why it's a 10-year uh, limit uh, of a four that you have to meet just to be considered for a judgeship right and even at 10 years that's still not enough because as you grow and you learn more about the law sure and sure uh, um i think around the 15-year mark is where it should be around the 14 15 year mark i think at that point in time you got the number of pro- and if you're doing that, you have a number of experience is in, with regards to um, your civil practice, whether it's doing contracts or uh, unlawful detainers or something like that. I think the, so the experience matters, I have, I can document 70. I know I have more than seventy criminal jury trials. That I've done over my career um I'm on the indigent criminal defense appointments panel up in Los Angeles so when the public defender or the alternate public defender cannot represent someone the county of Los Angeles hires me I'm one of 100 lawyers that does what we call the grade four cases that's anything that ranges from a sentencing range of 25 years to life in prison doesn't call doesn't cover a lot life without possibility of parole or yeah. death so yeah. I'm on that so I do I get a lot of cases that way and they all if you have a life case, you're going to be doing trials. So I have a number of life cases sure. I've done trials on. So experience is number one. Why is experience matter? You as a judge in a criminal court are calling balls and strikes. That's all you're doing. The, there's, the jurors are the ones who make the determination who's telling the truth and who and if the prosecution has proven their case beyond a reasonable doubt. right? That's their job. As you as a judge, that is not your job. You're calling balls and strikes. You're making sure every play, everybody plays fair. And you are... Um, making decisions quickly on objections. What's the law? Is that hearsay? Is this relevant? Is, there's, is there the proper foundation that's been laid for this type of testimony to come in? That's right. what that type of experience comes in. All right. So that's number one. And you have to be smart enough to understand that. The second thing about it, you got to be a good person. And why is that an important aspect? I look right now for judges who aren't going to treat me like crap when I walk into a courtroom. I want to be treated with respect and dignity, so I know I can be heard. Be a nice person. The rogue does not mask if you're a, if you're a haughty person, if you're prideful, yeah. boastful, if you're a bully. It does. Not, if you're a bad person, it does not mask it. It yeah. amplifies it. And if oh, you, I, yeah. see, I, I I watch a person. I've known that person. I watch them go to the bench, and I go, no kidding. He's like that. We all saw it, folks. Right. We all knew what we were getting, and now it's worth. Well, I didn't think it was going to be that bad. No, because you didn't understand the robe amplifies it.
0: Amplifies it. Yeah, I think that's really important. We see that in so many walks of life where a power amplifies what has already been there. Right. And, and oh. I think that professional demeanor and treating everyone with dignity is
1: so crucially important. In regards to race, color, creed, national origin, origin, or sexual orientation, when you come into court of law, you have a right to be heard. You have the right to be treated with dignity and respect. If you come into my courtroom or any judge's courtroom and you feel like you've not been treated well, you then start questioning, did this judge actually listen? Did he give a damn about what I was saying? Did he, I matter to him? Did my matter matter to Absolutely. him? Absolutely. Right. And so it starts there. Good morning. How are you? Mm hmm. Once you, and plus you're also lowering the temperature in the courtroom. Nobody right. likes to be in a courtroom. That's not what they're, you know, sure. I love to be there, but the day that you step in a courtroom, I don't care if it's family law or some contract business dispute or a criminal case, that's not a good day that you have to be inside of a courtroom. Right. So you're already up as a defendant or as a plaintiff or as a response. Or as a juror. Or, or as a juror. Again, don't even get me started outside. I see some <laughs> of the ways i was going to get to that as well. And that was um you have you've got to lower the temperature down. A simple good morning. How are you? A, to a criminal defendant that comes in, how are you? Because I know if a judge is rude to that defendant, my client, guess who's gonna get the brunt of it? It's me. I gotta now settle him down. I or her down. I've got to talk to them. And then goes to jurors. No one wants to be a juror. They're hard, it's like pulling teeth to get them to go. Well, those of us who want to be jurors yeah. don't get picked. But- right. <laughs> Right. You don't want, but you get, you're brought into a room. Sixty. I
0: want my time to be honored. I want respect. I want all of those things, but yeah, some of us
1: want to serve. And and I would love to do jury My mom wants to do jury duty. She never gets it. Once they see the the name Gibbons, they know who we are. She's gone. Right. But the thing is you come into a room, right? You're 60. Like, let's say it's a a murder case where I get the, the massive peremptories. You come in that room. You're nervous about this. Now we're asking you personal questions. Where do you live? What's your marital status? How many kids? What do they do? What is it that you do? Have you ever been arrested, charged with crime? Do you know anybody who's been arrested, charged with crime? We're now invading into your privacy. And I know some of it has been curtailed by the new law about what we can ask with regards to jury selection. But nevertheless, it's still invasive that you're now broadcasting to 60 people. Right. And then I get to ask you questions. Can you be fair? Right. What person are you? Are there any biases? We all have biases. Of what, course. Are these biases going to come out in my case where it's going to be the detriment to my client in doing that case? So for me, respect comes in that you're going to have those people feel comfortable explaining who they are so that the jurors, so that the, the both um, parties can select the jurors and they're making a fair trial. Yeah, absolutely. So demeanor is everything. Everything. If you, yeah, if you're better than someone. You're not. You can't be the judge because that's not the. Maybe there's some other work for you. But that's not your job. Your job is there to
0: serve. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important. And demeanor. You know, it, in, unless you know these candidates, unless you're in the courtroom, it's hard to know the answers to that. So
1: well, there's ways of knowing things. There's the Orange County Bar Association. They do in-depth analysis of each candidate. Now, they have not given out the ratings, but they list the criteria for how they get to their ratings. You know, there's one of them. Experience is another one. So voters can always take a look at the Orange County Bar Association and say, wow, if they found someone not qualified, that's a big deal. That's a huge red flag. I mean, that. you have an NQ by your name. What is it about you? Now I won't know why they gave it, but I know sure. that criteria, that laundry list. And if right. I see something that's on that laundry list, and they found someone not Q, NQ, then yeah. at that point in time, that may be someone you want to walk away from. Yeah, I think that's it. good advice. I think it's good advice.
0: Anything else you want to add? I've really enjoyed speaking with
1: you. It's been it's been very fun. But you asked me a little bit about what what I was trying to um, do with regards to. Um, my campaigning. Yeah. My, so the woman that did take out a sitting judge um, with, as a violent crime prosecutor, she was assisted by a deputy district attorney who tried a new way of doing things. They didn't buy, well, they did buy some slates, but they kind of went away with slates and did a lot, a lot of social media. She did beat the judge. Two years later, that same judge, the one that ran the social media campaign for the other judge and my sister ran My sister employed the same thing. My sister was a commissioner, which is kind of like a judge. Sure. We We talked to Joe Dane. We talked to Joe Dane. So he's a commissioner doing the job of a judge already. So my sister was already doing that. There are limitations on what a commissioner can do. She beat a DA. First time a commissioner had beaten a DA in Los Angeles County at a primary ever. She utilized the same social media. Her friend then beat a commissioner. By 70, 30, it was even close. Wow. Social media. Then the last election cycle, one of the other, finally, the fourth friend decided to run. We made a run. She slaughtered. She spent, I think, a total of $5,000. Her opponent spent $595,000. And he's actually suing his campaign consultant. Wow. Because he got slaughtered. It was like 60, 40. Sure, sure. And so I- I'm going to utilize the same skill set that they, they, they mm-hmm. did. We did. I will put it this way: when people start running for judge in Los Angeles County, probably July of the year preceding the election, um, I start getting hit on Facebook. I'm mm-hmm. Like, why is this DA hitting me up on Facebook? Yeah. And so one of them did hit me in July. I saw her in the Pomona courthouse. They said, "Hey, uh, you're running for judge." And he looked at me, "How do you know? Because <laughs> you hit me up on Facebook. You want to talk to my sister, don't you?" Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, it's the same way we know who's going to run for president by who shows up at the Iowa state fair.
1: Exactly. And so they all,
0: they're not there for the butter cow.
1: It's funny now that they yeah. come out, the uh, prospective candidates will reach out to my sister and her four friends Uh uh-huh. um, before they even hit the presiding judge. Sure. And even, even, a, even the newspaper up here in LA talks about when the four of them are mentioned, you know, who's got the backing, you know how they're going to run their campaign and so, never yeah. been one here in Los Angeles County. I mean, Orange County. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see if it works. Again, I'm also, I'm only attorney at law. DAs always win in Orange County. So, yeah. but the, only, the thing is, I have a candidate. It's not really a prosecutor. He's an assistant. Um, right. Assistant right. district attorney or us, uh, or he calls it our chief of staff, whatever you want to call him. And he's been a career politician. So, he's not been the guy that's been in the trenches doing this stuff. Sure. If there's ever a time to maybe, Try this. It would be against Mr. Nelson. I wouldn't be able to do if I had to go against Alvarez or Duff or um, Baton or uh, Beltran Row, I don't think I would have a shot. Sure. Uh, Sure. I could spend a million dollars and I don't think Mm -hmm. in Orange County. No, maybe that might be changing.
0: We'll see. I mean, it's an interesting case study. We usually have such a small sample size of one or two judicial races that you just never know what the variables are. So, but from, from talk- a political science perspective, it's going to be a fascinating uh,
1: uh, experiment. I did talk to a campaign consultant that's handling um, some of the people down here in Orange County, and I've done my own informal unscientific polling. And we all know deputy district attorney is the most powerful ballot designation, right? Yeah. Been-
0: and we don't have any law professors. Law professor usually does well. We don't have any law professors. So, so of the, of the designations we've got deputy DA is, is the most
1: successful. And so that's been pulled. We need right. uh, in talking chief district attorney would also be powerful. But when I ask, what about chief assistant? She goes, no one's ever pulled that before. And it has a flavor of um. that's um. Oh, what's the word on middle for? management. Middle management. That's exactly what it sounds it's a little that's from what, the office, right? So that's maybe something assistant that to my, the, yeah. assistant to someone. So yeah. he's not going to look the same as the rest of the district attorneys. And there are two from Los Angeles County and one from Riverside County that's um, doing it as well. Yeah. So using social media, I believe slates are dead. We, the, the, my sister's four friends, they have slaughtered us in LA County. They don't even bother doing it. Um, social media seems to be the best way to reach out. I've also been endorsed by the Democratic Party, as mm-hmm. well as the Cal, um, the Orange County Federation of Labor. They mm-hmm. put out slates, and yeah. the Democratic and those
0: targeted slates, I think, are different. Oh,
1: yeah, those are do- people they're, are they're going People are well voters.
0: trained to look for them.
1: Yes, and those yeah. are voters. Those are actual voters. We're going to say this is who is endorsing this yeah. candidate, and they're likely yeah. to endorse me. So, or maybe vote for me. So that's going to be the unique. And we're, in this county is swaying blue as opposed to the once diehard red with you know sure. you've got dornan dryer Rohrbach uh, you know you, uh, you had that, that
0: that that's a blast from the past right there right but
1: those that's dead yeah right you now yeah. here yeah. josh newman is the um yeah. senator from our area bob archuleta got redistricted yeah. in mine we yeah. never had that before it was never right question of who's so
0: earthquake when Loretta Sanchez won in 1996
1: right Right. when she's got a mom yeah
0: so yeah I think I think it's going to be an interesting case study and political scientists are loving the experiment uh so
1: yeah why not no one should walk into this judge walk uh, this position walking backwards you know um he was running back um winning back walking backwards into it until I popped in at the last moment and uh, yeah, and it's not, and I, I didn't target him because of who he is, right? I don't know. Anything no, no. but my thing is, if I'm going to run against someone, this is, has to be the guy to try out our, our thing yeah. and not just try it out because I want to see how it works out, but no, 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 no. absolutely. In, and no one should walk in backward. If even if I was running unopposed, it should never, ever happen. I should be able uh. to somewhat vet it. Absolutely, and and,
0: and that's what you know. I've I've talked with Tony Saavedra uh, uh, about that on, on a previous episode uh, about the sheriff's race. That that how is nobody challenging? Even even if Don Barnes is doing the best job ever, we should have a debate. We should have public discourse about the problems in the department and where that vision and 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 future is going to be. So I absolutely. I'm happy to see the competitive nature of these offices; that we're not just going to have people sneak in without being on the ballot. Um, and I think plans. it's
1: crucial. We've had we've had people walk in backwards. I know. And we've
0: had some disasters. We have had some disasters. So, so let me ask you the questions I ask everybody at the end of the show. What's the best advice you've ever got?
1: Trust yourself. Mm. Believe in yourself. I love it. I've deviated from that in my life. I um and I I I question me and I don't want I, I want to get outside validation and it changes from what my first thoughts were, my first instincts. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Um trust yourself, believe yeah. in yourself. And if you don't fake it, start that pro- no, but start that process in believing yourself and yeah. go for it. Because guess what? You're what you know you. And, right. have right, and have a good core principles. If if you're gonna trust yourself, understand who it is you are and yeah. what matters to you. If you don't have yeah. core principles or values, then it doesn't matter what you what you're trying to do, sure. believe in sure. yourself, because it's gonna fall, right? Yeah. You've got to be true to yourself. That's the best advice I was ever given. And sometimes I deviate, I'm not perfect. I do deviate sometimes. So that is yeah. uh, that's advice I ever got.
0: Well, and I I think. When you do deviate, it reinforces the lesson. Yes. Because things go terribly wrong. So what's a book you like to recommend to people?
1: Well, you political science class. My favorite book in political science, John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. Oh, uh, yes. One, because he was so bright, such a genius. But his prose in On Liberty and his arguments for why liberty is paramount is um. I think it's still relevant today, especially with the way um, we have these big tech companies that are stifling speech. Regardless, if you're a conservative or a liberal, um, you have or um, progressive, you're going to have people are stifling speech. And yeah. and he has some great examples, like minority viewpoints that became the majority viewpoints over right. time. I think he it, it brings out about Christianity that sure. wasn't nothing, and then turned into how big the world religion is today. So I think that's one of the a, a great, great book. I, I it's when I look back on, and I say, you know what, I will look. I read it and I said, yeah, he, he, he got it. He, he got he, it. He, yeah. For political science. If you're not, re- if you're studying political science or political philosophy or ethics, and you haven't read On Liberty, I think you're really missing something. Um, Good. Yeah.
0: Foundational. Really. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And I'm not He's easy, like- I'm a utilitarian. I'm a Kantian, and yeah. and I mean, I'm deontological the theory. Um sure. I, But I think his arguments still maintain Sure, sure. Your, of, of your views on ethics and stuff. I still think it's just really a good book.
0: Absolutely. Is there a hopeful message you can share with our listeners?
1: Hopeful message. You're going to hear a lot of bad things about the judiciary, right, or just courts and how justice is being served. You always have to remember one thing. We're all human beings, and we're not perfect. And anything that is a human construct is going to have flaws, but given the fact that our system is still the best system in the world, we do have our flaws and stuff like that. I will point out something a judge said up in Sacramento that really hit it on the head because a lot of people were getting upset. OJ had been found not guilty prior to my entering law school. Um, you know, you had McMartin. You know, big money spent on a molestation case that wound up being a big. Ooh, that's a big problem. Um, right. And the Menendez brothers, and every time a celebrity got put out there, there was always some kind of problem. And then you would see people who are from a low, um, poor social and economic background, and they're getting convicted left and right. Sure. right. So how fair is that? But at the end of the day, when you have 12 people who don't know who you are, and they sit there and they listen. That's the best thing in the world because you have to remember when Hitler took over in 1933 one of the first things he did was he eradicate the jury system And not a lot of people knew that this judge had pointed this out to me why because then the power of the state could do whatever it want because he the 12 people there are a buffer between a tyrant that with power yeah. that was un, un, um, unwielding power. And so yeah. when you have a system like that where 12 people, and if you're a victim you have 12 people who listen to you they say i believe you or to a defendant who's found not guilty um because the state did not prove up its case beyond a reasonable uh-huh. level. that's a that's a beautiful thing it may it may be inefficient but at the end of the day it's the most beautiful thing around and that's my hope if everybody ever anybody ever gets upset about our system it's still the best thing around we're not uh-huh. perfect we get things wrong. We're trying to get better at it every single time, right? And that pendulum swings back and forth. You know, sure. you know one sure. time, three strikes being the to now saying you know, the three strikes was just a really bad idea, which my father was saying back then as sure. well. Anybody that would listen to him. Um, so we and we're just trying to figure it out, but doing this, having a dialogue, working and fixing problems, yeah, it makes our system the best, and that's yeah. my hope for our system.
0: I think it's great. I say, let's have the debate.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When, you, when have you ever lost in debates? I mean, when do we lose in society? I mean, granted, you have some kind of, some people out there on the fringes that, you know, you, you wouldn't want to have a polite conversation. But when you're, ha- when you're talking to people who aren't fringe people, I'm talking like the neo-Nazis, they don't have much but, to offer. Sure. Nope. Um, but we exclude them, but it's people like us, who sit there and talk like, hey, you know what? This might work. <laughs> and that's part of humility of, of being a human being is knowing I don't have all the answers, someone else um, talking. I always have rejected Jean-Jacques Rousseau's general will as being something that's internalized. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the Marxist movement, but I did like Herbert, Mar- not Marcuse, but um, Jürgen Habermas, who I had a chance to listen to one time, talk about the discourse ethic and talking with Eight. one another, you know, and having, you know, specified speech acts that um, to express yourself and also be able to listen to getting a better um, understanding of humanity.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really
1: good. So who should we talk to next? Um, Andrea Mater, I thought was very good. Um, Ray Brown is his name. And I would suggest, um, I I thought Aaron Beltran Rowe was really good too.
0: Great. I love it. Good. So thank you. I I really appreciate it. And talk to my opponent.
1: More debate, more discourse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I really appreciate you spending time.
1: Oh, I thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma. I want to thank our executive producer, Ann Watford, and our editors and producers, Alexandria Kim and Cindy Gimple. This podcast would not be possible without them. So Thanks to them.